Right. Like, I, I can't imagine how frustrating something like that must be. And, and the whole concept of, like, fighting against the weed stock and, and all that kind of stuff. Whereas, like, like, we know now, at least, I mean, I know, <laughs> um, with with the whole concept of, like, like the link between pesticides and, and cancers and stuff like that. And then the, the pressure that people like me, who know nothing about what you guys do, we, we put on you like, oh, you know, pesticides, you're, you're trying to kill us all with your food. And like, oh, it's got to be all natural. Who cares if it lives or dies? But uh, like, I, I can't even imagine what, how frustrating that must be on, on the day to day for, for people in your industry. Like. Welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brennan Black, and today we have another consumer-based interview. Today I have uh, this guy named Eric. He's a great guy. I've been talking to him online for the past few weeks. He's been asking me a ton of really great questions about agriculture, and a lot of them I just couldn't answer over text. So I said, hey, why don't you come on an episode? We'll talk about this, this kind of stuff, because a lot of the questions you're asking are a lot more complex than you can put into a simple text message. So he is here. I have very little knowledge about Eric and his background, but he's going to tell us a little bit about himself right now. So Eric, floor is yours. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, well, my name is Eric. Uh, I work as a mechanical engineer in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. It's like right across the border from Detroit. Uh, it's a city with like a population of 300,000 or something. Um, in Windsor, there's no agricultural sector. So you have to drive probably half an hour to reach the county. And then there's like soybeans. <laughs> there's um we have quite a bit of corn if you get like an hour outside of the city we have like we're we're known for tomatoes and a lot of those greenhouses have converted to like marijuana grow operations <laughs> um and that's kind of all that at least i'm aware of um so it's when we first got to talking um we're kind of in the middle of the whole covid craze and my wife and i when this was first going down um we kind of made a conscious effort to not only stay away from grocery stores, but try to go more like direct to the source. And we actually had a lot of trouble figuring that out. And so it's, it just seemed crazy to us. We're like, like we know all our food comes from farmers, but where are all the farmers giving us all our food? <laughs> and then once you kind of get into that, there's more of like a, like, Oh, what, what does a farmer do on like the day to day? Or like, how does one become a farmer? And then like the whole concept of like starting a farm, like that's, that's crazy. Where does all like the, the capital come for something like that? Like it's, it's just the more you dive into it, it the, the more expansive the whole industry seems. And especially something like, like they say the oldest jobs, prostitution, the oldest jobs being a farmer, <laughs> like that, that's what kind of established civilization, being able to settle down and kind of cultivate one location. Um, so yeah, it's just when we were talking, we, we kind of got onto some of the, some of the basic stuff. And like, I have a lot of questions on the technical end because of what I do for a living. Um, but yeah, I was hoping we could go over some of that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you have a, a good list of, of questions there and definitely a good origin as to why you're curious. It's something that I think a lot of people are starting to become more and more curious about is where their food comes from. You know, what does it take to get that food to the plate that you have it on now? So I'm definitely happy to answer as much as I can. By no means am I an expert. I just want to say that right now. So for the most part, I should be able to give you a general answer to most of your questions, but there might be some details that I might not be entirely sure about, or I might say somewhat inaccurately, but I'll try to stay as close to what I know as possible. And if I don't know it, I'll just say, hey, I'll get you the information another time kind of thing. Oh, cool. Well, my knowledge floor is like zero. So <laughs> whatever you have is definitely more than what I'm aware of. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So, so uh, you know, since we have lots to, to go over to today, know. I think we're just going to jump right into jump. it. We can go as, as deeply technical as you want, or we can go as, as far as the basics of, like you said earlier, how does a farmer become a farmer? You know, where does the, where does the food actually go when it leaves the farm? You know, all, all those more basic questions. We can go whatever level you want to go into first. Right. Well, can we start with, with ag school? I've heard you mention this in some of your other, it, that's kind of like what, what kickstarted this project of yours, right? Pretty much. Yeah. So okay. what, uh, do you mean like just, just the general overview of, of what ag school is or what do you kind of, what's your, like what, what is the concept of ag school? Like you're, mm. you're, I assume you're going to school to work in the agricultural industry, but like, is this, is this something that like happens where you live i i didn't even know there was such a thing <laughs> so here's the, here's actually a really fun um a fun a fun piece of information for me at least uh so in the united states i'm, I'm from california in case we hadn't discussed that but in oh, the yeah? united cool. states uh there's a youth leadership program called ffa which stands for the future farmers of america it's a high school program, and we're actually starting to expand to seventh and eighth grade uh, levels as well. But basically, it spans over every state. Every single state has an FFA association. So the entire country is involved in this same uh, organization that's based around not just agriculture, but also leadership development and you know developing job interview skills and you know personal development, all that, all that kind of stuff goes into it too. But it's all rooted in agriculture. So I learned a lot of what I know about agriculture, both from where I grew up. I grew up in a very agricultural community, and you know I learned from my parents who are involved in the agriculture industry. But also when I got into high school, I was taking classes that were teaching me a lot of different things about agriculture. So it's less of like an ag school. It's not the entire school. It's based around ag. It's more of like I was taking classes during high school that were more or less electives that were based around agriculture, and I was involved in what could almost be considered a separate school in and of itself that was based around leadership development and agriculture and all these different things that, that kind of incorporate together. So, and, and now I'm, I'm going to college to study agriculture. So that's kind of, it's still a, a general school, but it does have an agricultural uh, branch to it. So if that, I hope that kind of okay. answers your question. Oh yeah, totally. Like my, my high school had a, a dramatic arts portion, hmm. which is useful. <laughs> so yeah it was the same kind of concept like you could there was like theater management and, and stuff like that so yeah that's that's neat so eventually there's like a whole is it like a separate post-secondary institution or is it tied into whatever sort of like college or university you have around you uh so it's more or less uh the best way i can describe it is basically if you're going to, to a college for agriculture, it's not like a trade. You don't you don't go for you know some of the things you go to a trade school for. Uh, it's it's all tied into like you can go to college for you know to be a biology teacher, and that same college might offer you know agricultural engineering or agricultural science or you know like there's there's different ag majors that are usually offered at um, most universities in the United States that or I shouldn't say most, but a decent amount of universities in the United States. Uh, so there's no like 
separate ag school you have to go to, but there are schools that are uh, stronger in agriculture than others. So that kind of take with that way you will. Yeah, gotcha. I, we, we have nothing like that around here. I think the closest we have is, um, like, I, I'm talking like I have any sort of experience in this, but I, the, the only one that I'm aware of is, like, the, the Niagara Falls area. They're, they're known for, for their wine production. Mm. So they have different sort of, like, wine growing and tasting and marketing projects, mm. and mm. I think. <laughs> uh, so yeah. what... No. You're you're going to school to to get a career in this field. What is the like? What is the average career prospects for for a, a farmer other than like <laughs> being a capital F farmer and, and owning their own farm and doing their own thing? So, an important distinction here that farmer and agriculture are not necessarily synonymous. So, farmers are a branch of agriculture, but agriculture is a very wide topic that explains a lot of different occupations based around the cultivation of food. So farmers are actually a very small percentage of those involved in the agriculture industry. In the United States, only about a little less than 2% of our population is actively involved in growing food. Everyone else in agriculture is involved in all kinds of different things. There's agricultural scientists, there's environmentalists, there's social, or social uh, soil scientists, there's um, veterinarians, there's, you know, uh, there's lobbyists, there's politicians that their entire career is agriculture, there's agricultural lawyers that have to do with, you know, if somebody on their farm gets like their tractor stolen, they have lawyers for that kind of thing. I'm actually going for agricultural education, so I want to be an agricultural teacher. Oh, but cool. I also have friends that are studying ag communications, which is more based on marketing and, you know, uh, communicating with the public about kind of like what I'm doing now. What I'm doing is, is a very basic form of agricultural communication. So that's that's my minor as well. So uh, there's a lot of different branch jobs under agriculture. Farming is just one of the ones that's most popular and most well known. So I, I kind of had next year, like, like, h- how does someone go about starting a farm? <laughs> I, I, I play I play a lot of Stardew Valley, um, oh, which yeah. makes me basically an expert in starting starting a little farm on a homestead. <laughs> <laughs> but like the, that that concept just seems like so so overwhelming to even approach something like that, and and the the equity that's required in in starting something like that, just the land alone, mm. let alone the equipment. Like h- how do you do that and have a sustainable life? <laughs> so you just asked the question of the year. Of the year. Oh yeah. <laughs> so is that, kind of the, is that the 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 goal, the dream for people entering the industry, or <laughs> uh, more or less? Uh, it's it's not quite that simple. Not everyone wants to be mm. a farmer. There. Are, are actually quite a few people who want their gen- next generation to take on the farm and they don't want it. And there are quite a few people who don't have a family farm that really want one. Totally. And so it's, it's kind of like a difficult situation. But quick side note, I play a lot of Stardew as well. And oh, yeah. I was, I was actually talking to my last guest about Stardew because him and I had a whole conversation about it. And I'll actually use more analogies as time goes on whenever we get to the more technology-based questions. But Stardew is possibly one of the most accurate simulations of farming I've ever seen (laughs) in terms of how fast the day goes by and how little time you have to do anything, but you have everything to do. Oh yeah. You're starting with that little watering can, just hoping for the best and just pounding away. That's exactly, that's what farming is. It's just, you know, you have, you have very little resources and so much to do and so little time to do it. And just, it's, it's a whole method of just figuring out time management and resource management, all that kind of stuff. Anyways, side note aside, I'll go back to that later. But yeah. when it comes to developing and starting up a farm, there's a million different strategies to do this. And I like your question about, you know, the amount of equity and the amount of capital it would take to start that kind of venture is not an easy thing at all. Most people, most people, so the agricultural industry right now is 
somewhat struggling. Most markets in the agriculture industry are kind of falling apart, not just because of the COVID thing. They've been falling apart for a while. Right. Uh, they they have their ups and downs. They have definitely good good years and bad years. But over the past, I want to say 10 to 20 years, maybe longer, we've been seeing a massive amount of, of what we call urban sprawl or urbanization, where a lot of farmland is being taken out to build urban development, which isn't always a bad thing. You know, we, we, we definitely need urban development. We need housing. We need stores. But there needs to be a line drawn because eventually we're going to run out of land to grow food on. And I think we need food more than housing, at, at least in my opinion. I mean, yeah, it's kind of important. <laughs> so it's it's one of those things that agriculture is in a constant state of fighting for its survival, basically. We're, we're, farmers are getting scarcer and scarcer, and smaller farms are getting bought out by bigger farms just because they can't survive in the markets. And it's kind of a rough becoming a farmer right now is one of the most difficult things you can do in, in life pretty much just because of the amount of the amount of risk so farming more or less i i usually compare it to uh like not the lottery but it's it's, it's gambling-esque risk taking um right. my, my last guest compared it more to the stock market which is fairly accurate except i think the stock market is more reliable than farming half the time <laughs> so um i think the agriculture and this is just speaking on, on on my behalf at least agriculture goes through a lot of struggles but it, it will ultimately always be there just because we're always going to need food Has but to, yeah. to say that you know anyone can just become a farmer is just not being intellectually honest being being a farmer is an incredibly difficult task to do it's, a, it's an incredibly great investment to make i know very few people who have just become farmers usually they're second or third generation it's been passed down they inherited it from somebody or they you know started up a business and they and they bought land and you know they usually it takes like most of your life to save and by the time you saved enough you have to buy a small you know, very small plot of land and really know your stuff about markets. And if you don't know your stuff about markets and environmentalism and, you know, in biology, you'll just tank. But if you do right. know your stuff, if you know business, if you know markets, if you know like all that kind of stuff and you're on top of your game, if you just watch the markets and you watch the places around you, you can expand your farm, but it's only going to be a take up other farms. There's, there's very little progress in making any land back for agriculture. Basically at this point, we're just trying to hold on to what land we have. Yeah. No, and we, we see a lot of that in our area too. Uh, the the land that we have. I mean, everyone desires that that suburban lifestyle, right? <laughs> it's got to go somewhere. So it, it, you see you see farmers selling these just the huge chunks of land, and like when you see the the, the cost of the land and what it's listed as, like you can't blame them. Do, do you want to work every day for the rest of your life, or do you want to get this just enormous payout? Like it's it's a tough tough call to make. No, and exactly. Yeah, and when you say there's only two percent of the population like actively working in food production like that's that's terrifying <laughs> <laughs> at least in the united states but i gotta say united states is the number one producer of food for the world so that's a little concerning right. that only two percent of our population is producing the food so i mean yeah when you go to other countries you look at india you look at some of these other you know countries that are they're pretty close in agricultural development from a population scale they have way more of their population producing food but they're producing way less food and it's way less safe and it's way less abundant and it's just it's not it's not comparable to the standards that we have in the united states and most of the north american countries i think canada even has higher standards than most of the european and, and indian countries so yeah and like it, well something that canada and the u.s share in common is we have huge tracts of vacant land mm. so i mean you, you can drop a rock in the middle of the states and you have somewhat at least workable real estate same thing with canada that's the whole prairies are all set up like that mm. and like we can we can build an industry around that concept but like i, I don't even know how how like wh where would you grow 
beans in England. Like, <laughs> well, <laughs> I know there's countryside, but like, <laughs> another big <laughs> misconception is that people think that any land is arable, and by arable I mean farmable. So. Right. I've I talked to people before that say, you know, why are farmers struggling so much? There's tons of land to use. Why don't they just use it? Well, not all land can grow all crops. I mean, there's a lot of right. land in a lot of different areas that just cannot grow anything. And yeah. usually we take that land and we try to turn it into agri- animal agriculture base. We, you know, we build barns there. We build, uh, you know, uh, like corrals or we build, you know, pig barns. We build milk, uh, dairy, uh, dairy barns or, you know, we build all kinds of different stuff on that land if we can. But even then, nobody's going to buy land that they can't grow anything on. And so right. when urbanization is spreading to the places that we can grow stuff on, and it's leaving alone the places that we can't, it kind of leaves us with little option. Yeah, it's, I, I didn't even think about that. I mean, like, I assume wherever I live is not arable land because everything I plant fails. So, yeah. <laughs> I have a patch of lavender in my backyard that the bumblebees really like, and that's that's been alive for like two years, and it's the, <laughs> the longest I've kept anything alive outside of like my kids and my cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would hope that though that your the, the the animals in your in your house are, are staying alive a little better than the plants, but yeah, I, uh, I haven't seen the cat for a few hours, so who knows now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's 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 definitely an issue that a lot of people don't really consider is that you know not all land is farmable, and not all land is you can do everything with. So and and not only that. A lot goes into understanding soil health and environmental regulation, not just environmental regulation on the, on the legal level, but also in the personal level, understanding how much your soil can take. You know, you don't want to over, uh, you don't want to overwater, but you don't want underwater. You don't want to disrupt the microbiome that's inside the soil, but you also don't want to let weeds grow and damage your ecosystem. Like there's a lot that goes into that kind of stuff that a lot of people just don't really consider when it comes to making a farm actually be able to produce anything. Right. Like, I, I can't imagine how frustrating something like that must be. And, and the whole concept of, like, fighting against the weed stock and, and all that kind of stuff. Whereas, like, like we know now, at least, I mean, I know, <laughs> um, with with the whole concept of, like, like the link between pesticides and, and cancers and stuff like that. And then the, the pressure that people like me, who know nothing about what <laughs> you guys do, we, we put on you, like, oh, you know, pesticides you're trying to kill us all with your food and like oh it's got to be all natural who cares if it lives or dies but (laughs) like i I can't even imagine how frustrating that must be on on the day-to-day for for people in your industry like Hmm. it's definitely a massive challenge that a lot of farmers are facing right now and the use of pesticides use of antibiotics of hormones of genetic modification all of those new sciences are so they're so they're so sketchy for farmers to be able to use because the public is so against them and i'm not going to say that there's not a reason to be against them there are certain you know there are certain uses of certain pesticides certain chemicals that should definitely not be allowed in agricultural use but for the massive majority i mean the average consumer that i've talked to at least isn't fully aware that you know gmos and uh, pesticides and antibiotics and hormones they all go through roughly 13 years worth of testing for safety before they even touch the shelves so i mean like there's there's no and not only that the cleaning process this is another thing that people don't really uh, that they miss a lot is that there's a there's a whole process from farm to plate that they don't really get there's a processor there's a distributor there's a packager i mean there's all these different steps in the process there's a massive cleaning to make sure that the, the food that gets to the shelf doesn't have an ounce of pesticide, of pesticide residue, of antibiotics in the meat. Uh, I mean, like, for 
livestock animals, for example, there's a massive withdrawal period, usually like 30 to 90 days of withdrawal period before they're even allowed to be slaughtered to make sure that all the antibiotics out of the system. Oh. And so it's, it's stuff like that. Like GMOs go through, you know, over 10 years worth of testing before they're allowed to be used by farmers. They go through all these trials. They go through human trials to make sure that they're safe. There's no, you know, to make sure there's no allergen crossovers, to make sure there's no potential of, of cancer inducing chemicals involved or anything like that. So when the, when the public doesn't know about all the testing that goes in, they, they automatically assume, well, these, these are new sciences that we're just learning about. They must be dangerous. Right. Possibly. I mean, we've only known about GMOs for about, 26 years or so i mean they they were announced or they were first put on the market back in the mid 1990s so i mean sure there's a chance that they could eventually have some some side effects that we don't know about yet but to date there hasn't been a single study that proves that they've been harmful in any way and not only that we're kind of out of options here i mean we have a population of roughly 8 billion people right now by 2050 yeah by 2050 (laughs) it's going to be close to 10 billion people we have right. to produce 70% more food on way less land with way less resources available. I mean, to be able to do that without genetic modification, without pesticides, without antibiotics, I don't see how that's possible personally. I mean, if people can find a way to do it, by all means. But with our current resources and technology, it's just not something that we can really do at this point. And go ahead. No, it's, I, I totally see where you're coming from, and, and there has to be a, a refinement in, in process to get it there. I I mean, I assumed there was some sort of, of quality control and, and inspection, all that. I didn't know it was as in-depth as, as you said it was. I didn't know about the withdrawal period. Like, it makes perfect sense now that you say it. It's just not something that ever, ever crossed my mind. Yeah, no, exactly. So. And, and a lot of people tend to uh, not realize that a lot of the food they buy in the store doesn't have any pesticides on it whatsoever. And the pesticides that are being used in the field aren't really all that dangerous. I mean, in high doses, yeah, they, they could cause some damage. Don't get me wrong. And and I definitely agree that there's a lot of, you know, not I shouldn't say a lot of, there, there are farmers who overuse pesticides. There's farmers who overuse antibiotics. There's farmers who overuse GMOs. Like there's there's such thing as, as too much of some of anything, really. I mean, anything can be used in, in overdose and it'd be dangerous. But to say that, you know, we have a farmer who over oversprays his field and he should be the, you know, the face of all agriculture, that's just kind of, you know, that's disingenuous to the rest of the industry who's, you know, they're playing by the rules and they're they're sticking by the regulation and they're spraying when they're supposed to and not when they're not supposed to. And, you know, they're using antibiotics appropriately and they're using their withdrawal period appropriately. And, you know, so there's there, there's a little bit of frustration in that when farmers are, are being blamed for all these all these things happening when it's not their fault most of the time. Yeah. And I, I would think that something like that comes into play where you, you hear these stories about activists getting into like animal processing facilities and just taking this horrendous video. And I mean, you have like, like handful of cases of those versus all the facilities in the world that are doing it up to, up to a standard or a code or a moral process. And it just, it spirals out of control and it, that's, be, being a farmer must be so frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I can't. But, yeah. That's just that's that's. I mean, that's the that's the price that farmers take. They have a passion for growing food, and that's the other thing too. And I'll, we can get into this later because this is a soapbox speech that I really don't feel like giving. But basically, anyone who says that farmers go into farming for profit is not aware of how much crap farmers have to put up with. I mean, yeah, farmers. If if farmers wanted to make money, they would not be farming. That's, it's as simple as that. Farming does not make enough money to 
warrant dealing with all the things that farmers have to deal with. I mean, they're the most regulated company or most most regulated industry. They deal with the most public op- opposition. They deal with the most, I mean, environmental issue. They deal with the most uh, just everything. Everything takes farmers by storm. And so to, to, to say that, you know, like, like you said, exactly. I mean, that is like, that's the exact perspective we want consumers to have is that what we see on media is a just, it's just a poor portrayal of a very tiny percentage of farmers that are not the massive majority of who's growing your food. And that's the important part to keep in mind is that, you know, the media is going to blow up the bad stuff. They're not going to show the good stuff because media doesn't like good stuff. Yeah. It tends not to sell as well. (laughs) So what, uh, what can the average layman i.e. myself, mm-hmm. um, w- what can we do to to spread the word and get rid of some of that kind of misconception? Because mm-hmm. I, I find that at least in, in my social circles, um, which, you know, are, it, it's pretty broad. And I have a lot of people that have like a, a varying level of interest and in, in personality types. And a lot of them are, are big time into like the novelty of like, like the farmer's market or like mm-hmm. growing their own indoor vegetables. And that's one big thing that the whole covid thing has has started you know i see people starting all these all these little plots in their backyard or these little (laughs) indoor growing contraptions and and i i feel like most of the public is on your side it's just there's some sort of miscommunication somewhere when there are issues or like what 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 can we do to make your lives easier you know, that is my favorite question I've ever heard. <laughs> so, um, and no, you're absolutely right. People have, over the past few years, taken a massive interest in agriculture. And part of it is, is due to COVID. That's definitely been a big jumping factor. I mean, my mom started doing gardening because of COVID. She, she has like a little like tub that she's been planting her seedlings <laughs> in. And like, you know, we're raised in agriculture. She's still doing it because she's scared we're not going to have food. I mean, like there's there's a lot of uncertainty in the world and a lot of people are like, well, let's just go back to basics. We'll start over and start farming. <laughs> like, yeah, that's my, just... my dad started a, a victory garden in his backyard. <laughs> so it's, he's just waiting for world war two to end. So he can, he can harvest his, his spinach. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. No, but I think that having these conversations are probably the best thing that consumers can do. And not only that, just being aware of, of a lot of the things that farmers go through and just talking to other people about them, making sure that, you know, if you hear someone say, I'm not going to buy this because it doesn't have a non-GMO label, making sure that you make the educated educated decision to say, well, maybe there's a reason it doesn't have that label because labels are right. very misleading. I mean, you can label something non-GMO and that doesn't mean anything. There's a lot of things that aren't labeled non-GMO that aren't GMOs. It's just a yeah. loopholes tend to be like that right exactly so it's just a matter of making educated guesses or educating guesses educating decisions and you don't have to you know stand on capitol hill with us to lower regulations you don't have to you know advocate for agriculture everywhere you go you don't have to do any of that kind of stuff but just being appreciative of what farmers go through and being more understanding of of the hoops that farmers have to jump through to make that food reach the place that it gets to really from from talking to the agriculture industry, and this is the whole purpose of my podcast, is to try to connect with consumers and help them understand just what we're going through. We're not asking for praise. We're not asking for forgiveness. We're not asking for any of that kind of stuff. We're just asking that you understand where we're coming from. Right. And a lot of that has to do with regulation in, in terms of legislation. So there's a lot of legislature that gets passed, at least in the United States. I'm not sure what the situation up is in Canada, but I know in, in a lot of European countries, it's a really bad issue. If the public is opposed to something, doesn't matter how much they know about it. They don't have to prove that they understand what this concept is. If they oppose it, they will ban it immediately. Like, 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, everyone's going to have that that reaction, and right. like it's if if it's a if it's a political issue, they they need the vote numbers, right? So it's right. yeah, it's going to be kind of one of those things, unfortunately. Exactly. No, I was talking to a, a Swedish farmer a couple of years ago. Uh, he came down to my hometown because we host a, a worldwide. A, uh, a worldwide agriculture convention here. People from all over the world, farmers all over the world, uh, engineers from all over the world come here and they build t- machines and they show off their new tech and it's really cool. I was talking to a Swedish farmer a couple years ago and he was telling me that they've completely outlawed GMOs in Sweden because the public just didn't know what they were. Not because they right. didn't like them, they know what they were, so they banned them and now Sweden is almost entirely dependent on imports because they can't grow their own food because they don't have GMOs. Yeah, I... <laughs> when when you're kind of looking at it on, on the surface level, it, I like I can understand how people could look at that and have a, a level of like apprehension. Mm-hmm. But it's I, I I hope we're at a point now where we can kind of see that. Oh wait, maybe it's kind of just an unfortunately named uh, idea. Like <laughs> when you get into it, it's like oh okay, well you know I, I like bananas that don't have seeds. So exactly no, and and that's that's the whole thing. It's just. Taking five seconds to do a quick Google search instead of assuming whatever you read on Facebook is the truth, that's all farmers are looking for. I mean, we're not looking for, you know, like I said, we're not looking for praise. We're not looking for, you know, people to thank farmers every day. We're just looking for people to make educated decisions, to not vote on things before reading into them, to not agree with whatever politicians say without understanding what it is they're actually saying, without doing the research on what actually goes into those processes. Like, you know, People like to regulate a lot of things with water usage here in California where I live. Right. Because of that regulation, a lot of farmers are having to close up shop because they just can't get the water they need and California's getting mad at them for pumping groundwater. We shouldn't be pumping groundwater. I agree. But it's not like we have another option. Like, we're not yeah. being given the water. What else are we supposed to do? Just not grow food? Like, Right. That's so it's it. just... One of the few things I know about California is that you guys tend to burn. You're going to fall off the face of the earth at some point, and water is very scarce. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> so, much. Yeah. Pretty much. That's You just summed up California excellently in, in one sentence. But yeah. no, that's, I, that's the really, weather is really nice. The weather is very nice. I love California so much. I just, the politics is something else. But to answer your question in the most simple way, the one thing I could ask consumers to do is just keep having these conversations. I mean, just keep talking about food, where it comes from, do your research. I mean, and when I say do your research, don't Google search something and click on the first article you see. Read five or six different articles and see if they actually match up. And if they do, then you can believe something. I mean, it's just a matter of understanding how much goes into agriculture is the most important thing farmers could ever hope for. Oh, totally. That makes makes (laughs) perfect sense. It's, it's, I don't understand how food production can be a, a politicized issue like it's it should be the one thing that kind of kind of ties us all together like i i don't know like in terms of like like government subsidies like i would assume the farming industry gets a gets a decent amount right like is that a is that a thing or am i making that up no farmers do get subsidies in in pretty pretty fair amounts i would i would say i, I can't give you any numbers because i honestly don't know but Farming is is one of the uh, more subsidized industries out of out of all of them. Yeah, well, I I feel like it should be given <laughs> given the expenses that we've talked about before, and given the fact that like nobody is doing it, so we have to right. we have to prop up the people that are. Exactly. No, absolutely. Yeah. That's really all, all I know about about Canadian <laughs> farming is that is that we have we have a really powerful. I don't know if it's a like a dairy union or a, or a dairy lobby. Um, but you, especially around election time, like you hear them 
they 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 get pretty riled up and then like <laughs> politicians do a big show of drinking a thing of milk on the stage i don't know it's canadian politics it's interesting what, what, what can you say right um so one thing that i that i had listed in here is like what what's the average like what's what's the pay scale like for someone going into agriculture and you've touched on that there's so many different types of jobs mm -hmm. i feel like that's kind of now a, a hard question to answer like like i've designed parts and machines for john deere like am i technically an agricultural worker <laughs> in your eyes <laughs> so what, what's funny about that is that when you're in the most simple answer is yes we would define you as an agricultural worker or, or being involved in the agriculture industry. And when we say that, we don't mean that you consider yourself an agriculturist. Those are different things. But right. everyone, I mean, essentially, if we're talking on a consumer-based level, everyone's part of the ag industry because everyone eats. But more broadly than that, being involved in the ag industry, besides just consuming the products, is, you know, it could be anything from designing parts for, for John Deere tractors. It could be doing the computer science is going to go into scanning a field. It could be, you know, being a, a small animal vet that helps out with horses sometimes. I mean, like, there's a bunch of things in agriculture that are much broader than just, you know, the, the few basic jobs that, that get publicized. As far as pay scale goes, it's kind of difficult to answer. Like you said, there's a lot of different... Uh, there's a lot of differentiation between all the different industries in agriculture. And I, I'm, just, I'm just on the farming scale. I mean, you have cattle, you have dairy, you have poultry, you have eggs, you have wool, citrus, nuts. I mean, like there are so many different industries that all have different markets and the markets fluctuate. I mean, the markets are almost identical to the stock market. You have, you know, beef prices are up, milk prices are down, egg prices are up, but pork prices are down. Like there's a whole bunch of different industries that are not competing with each other necessarily, but they're competing within themselves and that's driving up and down prices because of how, you know, capitalism works. But so to, to say the pay scale of, of a farming job, for example, is it's, it's extremely inconsistent. So it's difficult to say, you know, what the payoff would be. A lot of farmers, you know, they, they sell their farms because they just aren't getting paid enough for what they think they should be getting paid for that kind of job. But if right. you're talking, I mean, like, agricultural workers and when i say agricultural workers i mean like like the field workers you know the usually it's immigrants that they come and like pick the you know pick the crops or they help you know feed the calves or they feed or you know whatever the case but they're milkers they get paid a, a significant amount i mean i wouldn't say they get paid six figures by any means, but they they get paid because they're being asked to do one of the most taxing taxing that's a word taxing yeah. <laughs> jobs <laughs> that you can ask someone to do i mean you're asking them to bend over in the hot sun and pick fruit and you know get dirty and do all these terrible things they get paid a, a pretty decent amount and that's why we're kind of confused why nobody wants to work in agriculture anymore is because like those kinds of jobs are very well paying because they have to be to get people to come back whereas like working as the farmer you're probably losing money because you're trying to keep your workers there right that's it. and the reason kind of why i'm wondering it is when i look back on my high school days that were like not that long ago but they were far enough that i barely remember them um it, it's we had all of all of our teachers telling everyone to go and pursue like some sort of higher level level post-secondary um rather than go into something like like the trades um whereas like you know if if you're an electrician at least in my area like if, if you're a good unionized electrician you're making six figures mm. like i i mean i i went i studied philosophy at university mm. now I, I don't know why <laughs> it was just something that i was 
told by people that I assumed were making a good living told me I should do it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess this is my life now. <laughs> and I didn't even know that like what I do for a living now is, is an option that was, was available. And like when I look through and I, I was watching your video of, of some sort of, um, it, it was a convention of some sort. Mm. Um, and you were talking to, to a fellow who had like a, like some satellite imagery of a field and he was mapping out tractor paths and whatnot. And I'm like, man, like, I could totally do that. I didn't even know that this was an option that was required. But as soon as I see it, I'm like, of course it's an option that's that's needed by someone because, like, that's just the the, the state of the evolution of the industry. But it's we don't know anything like that that exists here because it's just like slightly a few kilometers off of our radar, and it just it, it breaks my heart knowing that there's good paying positions and and kids just aren't told that that's that's a thing or an option that they have. No, absolutely. And having agriculture as an option is something that I think needs to be more uh, relevant in, in modern education that, you know, because when, when kids hear agriculture, immediately they think, I don't want to be a farmer. And they don't That's understand. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like they don't understand how much goes into agriculture. I mean, so that convention you were talking about, that's that's the World Ag, Ag, the World Ag Expo, the World Agriculture yeah, Exposition. That is the, that's the convention I was talking about, the worldwide convention that takes place in my hometown. And that's the one where I met the Swedish farmer. And, you know, I've met people from Italy and Germany. Like, people come from all over for that thing. I mean, that is the showcase of the newest technology in agriculture. And so that company I was talking to, that's Fielden. Uh, They do a lot of what's called precision ag-based technology, which is, you know, a lot of scanning and monitoring of, like, moisture content in soil or the presence of life in in plant or in uh, in crop fields. So, like, you know, that we can tell where your bugs are and stuff like that. Or, or like you know, using drones to do like uh, like localized uh, spraying instead of large uh, large scale spraying, that sort of stuff. Okay. A lot of that stuff is done by you know computer scientists and engineers from you know top league schools that didn't want to go into agriculture. And guess what? They ended up in agriculture. They're just not farmers. Oh right, and like it's it's uh, the skills are are transferable, but like having. A background or a backbone in something like the field you're applying this technology from would help them exponentially. Mm. No, and I it's... agree. And sorry, I mean to cut you off there. Um, no, but fine. there's <laughs> there there's a big part of you know the industry I'm going into agricultural education that is focused on trying to bring not just teaching ag based class you know ag based classes in school but also trying to incorporate agriculture into regular classes i mean like having agricultural math agricultural mechanics at which they already have that but like agricultural english agricultural geography agricultural history i mean like bringing an agricultural element into most of these classes cuz what's the most common thing you hear from a kid learning algebra 2 in their sophomore year when am i ever going to use this in life yeah if you applied something practical to that, like I learned biology in an agricultural biology class that was offered at my school. That taught me biology in like the most practical way you can ever think of biology. And it like, it made it easier to, for me to understand it. it. It gives you perspective on like, okay, so a cell has to, you know, get a lot of energy to be able to reproduce. And then when it reproduces, it creates a living thing. And then you think about it in the, in the context of a calf within a cow. And then once that cell reproduces enough, then that cow's um, endocrine system activates its udder, which produces milk. Like thinking about it in the context that's that's more practical is like way more useful to kids than just teaching them general concepts that they're not going to know how to apply to life. Oh, totally. I, I would have passed grade eleven biology then. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mister Pellerin. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, it, it, we we have nothing like that, especially like 
like I say that that you know our, our city doesn't have an agricultural background. We do have a very strong computer science, a very strong manufacturing and engineering background. And like you, there's grads that come out of our schools that that go all over the world. And it's like I, I have friends that you know they have their masters in electrical engineering that are working in like different sort of water refinement plants in Europe and and like we have you know top-notch minds here, but we have no backbone in any sort of industry like this. And it, it just it seems so strange considering how essential it is to to getting through the day to day. Right. No. Exactly. And and one of the biggest things it it always cracks me up whenever I talk to. You. Uh, whenever I do these episodes, because I've done about three of these now of consumer-based episodes, that's what my season two of this podcast is kind of geared towards is, is consumers, is, you know, having yeah. the conversations that that help. And I'm not looking to, I, I am looking to teach people, but I'm not looking to like, here, let me teach you about agriculture. It's more like, let me give you some ideas that you can go talk to other people about and see what they think. Just getting the conversation going is more important than anything. And yeah. it always tracks me up. I always talk to people. Most of the people I talk to are Canadian for some reason. I've, I've learned that over time. But... It's, it's, it's weird. It's like as soon as you get on the subject, it's something we're like weirdly evangelical about, even though we know nothing about it. <laughs> like, yeah, no, support it's... your local farmers. I don't know any, but I mean, like, it's a really good idea. No, it's great that, that, you know, that interest is there because, you know, especially having an online presence is a huge thing. That's why I reached out to the podcasting communities is because a lot of those people are reaching out to other people. So, you know, you're connecting, if you connect to one person and you teach them something and they bring that to a conversation they have on somebody else's podcast, you just reach out to like a million people. Yeah. So it's like having that, that networking ability is, is infinitely useful, but it always cracks me up because like I'll have these conversations with consumers. I'll bring them on for episodes and we'll talk about stuff. And I say something about, the type of technology that's used in agriculture. And as soon as I mentioned robots, their eyes light up. They're like, they use robots in agriculture? And it's, it's it always is my favorite reaction because nobody knows that that kind of stuff is used in that. Like, I talked to a, a guy who was a mechanical engineer who designed drones, and I was like, oh, do you ever design drones to use on fields? He's like, they use drones in fields? I was like, yeah, that's actually a huge use of drones. Like, the, the drone technology used in agriculture is more advanced than anything we have in, in the consumer market right now. Right. And that's like on on the side. I've I've done some of that stuff where I've I've built drones that are used for like field photogrammetry. Mm-hmm. So like I, I I know that that's a concept, and and I know there's there's issues with like rights to repair and farmers owning their own machines. Um, and I can only imagine the hurdles involved with something like that. <laughs> oh yeah, Here, here's this like you know million dollar machinery. You you can't fix it. You gotta call us if it breaks. But I guarantee you it's better than your your 1970s little red tractor there, bud. No, absolutely. And that's kind of – I've been talking about this a lot lately with, with all kinds of people. But worrying what's what's being considered the fourth uh, revolution – excuse me, the fourth revolution of agriculture. There's been four. I don't know if you, you knew that. Um, were were like like the violent kind with like pitchforks and Molotovs? Or? <laughs> no, no, no. Not that kind of revolution. More of like a technological-based revolution, like the Industrial right. Revolution. So – the first revolution was basically we went from hunting and gathering to farming. That was, you know, we used tools and we used, you know, like very basic understanding of, of cultiva- cultivation and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The second revolution was the utilization of advanced technology like tractors and mule-driven plows and, you know, stuff like that. Right. And then we got into the third revolution, which was only very recently. It was in like the early 1990s. And it's considered the green revolution. That's where the chemicals started to come in, pesticides and antibiotics and hormones and GMOs and all that kind of stuff. That's when that started to show up. I didn't know that and, was that recent. Yeah, it was. That, what did I say? You said 1990s? 
Did I say 1990s? 1900s. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe I'm I, a third year. I'm like, whoa, I was alive when that happened. <laughs> no, no, no. It, I, it, it was, I think it was in the mid to late 1900s, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to double check that. Don't take my word on that. But okay. it was definitely in the 1900s. All right. And then shortly after that, I mean, like just within the past 10 years, 20 years or so at most, we've reached the the fourth revolution, which is which is being called Ag 4.0, basically. And that is the automation aspect. So we have uh, we have artificial intelligence running robots. We have you know new scanner technology. We have drones. We have you know all kinds of stuff that nobody even knew could be possible to be used in ag. And it's like not only is it is it state of the art, but it's like it's something that when people think of ag, they think of you know old McDonald with his straw hat and his pitchfork, and he's going to milk his one cow, right. and he's going to check on his cornfield people don't realize that the the farmers of today are much more advanced than that. And don't get me wrong, they're still stuck in their ways of like, I'm going to fix my own machines and I'm not going to, I don't need anybody else's help. I'm going to figure it out myself. And yeah. those farmers usually go bankrupt <laughs> because with well, today's... This is all coming back around to, to something we were talking about earlier. And like, I, it, for such an advanced industry, like how on earth does the average person afford something like that? Like satellites are kind of expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think that... And again, take this with a grain of salt because I haven't done my research on this particular, as far as the costs go. I have articles on the costs. I just haven't actually read them yet. They've just been sitting in my, in my, <laughs> in my bookshelf. But basically farmers have to, I mean, they, they get grants and they get loans to take, to get this kind of equipment that they have to pay off over time and that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. a lot of the time farmers are, you know, not that many farmers are automizing as much as it sounds. I mean, like not everybody's automized. It's a very new and upcoming thing, but some farmers will like, you know, volunteer to test out new technology. And if it works, they, they get to use it kind of thing. And then as the competition for that technology rises, the price goes down. So basically like there's new technology on the market that a lot of farmers aren't buying, but they're using the, the older technology from 10 years ago because it's, it's so competitive now that the price has been driven way into the ground that they can afford it. Yeah. But, What's interesting, sorry, I don't mean to, I, I know you have other questions, but what's interesting about that is that farmers are kind of in a unique position right now that I don't think they're super happy about. The new generation of farmers are, are, are okay with it, but the older generation is not so happy about it. And that's that for the first time in, in agricultural history, they're having to defend to, to depend on third parties to help them out. So at least in California, we have a regulation that uh, requires all farmer, all 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 ranchers, all animal agricultural um, farmers to have some kind of relationship with a veterinarian. They have to have, you know, certification or uh, like basically a prescription to use certain antibiotics on animals. They can't just use them willy-nilly. Right. And, you know, other farmers have to get, you know, in order to use drones, they have to have a pilot's license. They have to have certain certification to run certain types of programs and technology. Farmers that are 60 years old don't want to get a pilot's license. I mean, the average age of the... In America, the average age of the farmer is about 58 years old. None of them want to fly drones. Like, well, it's because they've never done it. <laughs> right. There's, I actually do know some older farmers that love using technology, and it's really funny to watch them go. But like the newer generations, like they have kids that are in their 20s that are you know going and getting certification for this kind of stuff, and they're doing it. But most of the time, they have to hire somebody to come in and fly their drone for them because they can't do it legally, and they don't know how. So this dependency is something kind of new and it's something uncomfortable for them, but it's very funny to watch. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. It's, that's like, I, I, I could talk about the, the, the technical aspect of that stuff all day, but I don't know how, how deep you <laughs> want to get into that, but it's just like think thinking about all, all the, the 
potential for for stuff like that and like my industry is is on the cusp of like we call it industry 4.0 as well Mm. it's any sort of like autonomous manufacturing Mm. and like there's a lot of it that that has a basis in reality and there's a lot of it that's very much still a pipe dream yeah no absolutely (laughs) So it'll be interesting to see, like, the the ideas are there and the technology is there, whether or not it's actually, like, a, a useful, applicable tool. Eh, who knows? But... <laughs> no, absolutely. No, and, absolutely. A lot of, and a lot of what's really interesting, what's really is, interesting, you know, interesting is something that a lot of people so, haven't really considered before is that agriculture, agriculture and the engineering-based industries are starting to almost become one and the same. I mean, there's so much engineering technology that goes into agriculture that, like... If you looked at somebody who's an agricultural engineer and a mechanical engineer, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. They're basically the same thing. Like, and, and some of them wear both hats, you know. And so, it, it, to see a, a like a melding of those two industries and be to see them so close together is something that I don't think many people ever thought they'd ever see, and it's kind of surprising and kind of cool, honestly, to see that happen. No, totally. Like, I, I wish I had the opportunity to work more on, on stuff like that. It's, you know, I, uh, most of the stuff we do, it ends up in, in automobiles. That's, that's mm-hmm. what Windsor does, being right across the border from Detroit. It's, <laughs> it's where we're so based in, in automotive manufacturing. Um, but it's kind of soul-sucking, knowing that, like, <laughs> what, what you're spending, you know, 60, 70 hours a week working on is just going into a minivan it's knowing that there's the potential for for something that you know can can better people's lives and and has the ability to you know have an impact on on you and what you're you're giving to your family and you're providing for them it's a it's a little bit more wholesome than the minivan <laughs> no absolutely especially since minivans don't even have the wood panels anymore so who even cares <laughs> <laughs> yeah it took away the one good aesthetic about minivans right now they put it on the inside and it's, it's just lame it's not yeah, even real wood. It, like, who it's cares? It's yeah. <laughs> so, on this on this topic, where do you see this industry in twenty years? Oh man, that's a great question. Twenty years. You know, this is somewhat of a. I'm I'm generally more of an optimist. The optimist in me likes to say that agriculture will be doing okay in 20 years so we're expected like i said earlier we're expected to have a population two billion more than we have now over the next 30 years uh, i yep. think that agriculture is gonna have to pick up the slack a lot and not that they're slacking but just you know we're we're kind of running into a brick wall at this point with some of the regulations we're being under and some of the public opposition that we've faced and some you know some of that kind of stuff so i think that it's going to be very interesting to see, to say in the least, no matter, no matter what direction it goes, it's going to be very interesting because agriculture is in, in, it's in its baby form of whatever is going to come out next. And a lot of people yeah. don't know what that is because of so many different factors. You have new technology. Automation is, is becoming a rapidly uh, increasingly developmental industry that is huge for agriculture. Uh, you have new practices that have never been tried before, or at least haven't been tried in in max in massive succession that are actually working. So one of those is is like the more it's called regenerative ag. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Never. <laughs> regenerative ag basically means that there's no till. You don't disrupt the soil in any way. 
like there's there's a whole bunch of processes that go into it basically but like you only spray at certain points and in certain ways and in certain parts of the soil and like there's there's a ton of that goes into it but more or less you're trying to let nature take the you know take the crop in and of itself like you don't you don't do a whole lot of outside work on the crop really you just kind of wash it and make sure it's okay and so that's a, a new thing that a lot of farmers are kind of wanting to try out and just see if it works and it's if that works then that's going to lower our pesticide use by a ton it's going to lower our labor uh labor use and and a lot of machinery based you know expenses as well so i mean that might be a cheaper option for a lot of farmers there's just there's a lot of right now we're in such an experimental phase of agriculture that it's difficult to see where we're going to go from here because it just depends on what works and what doesn't over the next five years i'd say so i think that personally i like to i like to think that there's a lot of hope for agriculture in the future just because of how much we can still do but knowing of with all the struggles we're facing, with all the public opposition that we're facing, with the regulation, the weather, the you know drought, all that kind of stuff, there's definitely going to be challenges. But I mean, realistically, we need food to eat, so we can't let them take away agriculture that much, or else we're in trouble. Yeah. Oh, there, there's no option, right? Right. But that's that's when when you say there's there there's so many different different factors, but like it's. There's there's going to be more people, so the demand is going to be there. There's going to be the technology that is hopefully going to kind of come in a step and and, and help them out. But it's I'm worried about that two percent number, man. <laughs> Ever <laughs> no, since absolutely. he told me that, however long ago on Facebook, I'm like, oh, or, or on a, on Reddit, sorry, I'm like, oh man, <laughs> that's that's a real tiny number. <laughs> yeah, and no, it's terrifying. And I mean, I can give you, I have a whole list of terrifying stats that I could give you if you really wanted no, to know, thank you. but. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's that's one of the scariest, and I think that it, it'll also be interesting to see with niche markets how that works too, because the organic industry is something that's very, uh, I, w- I don't want to say controversial, but there's a lot of people that believe that all of agriculture should be organic, and just from a logistics standpoint, that's not possible. I mean, right. There's no possible way to produce that much food without the use of conventional methods, without without the use of genetic modification, without the use of pesticides or you know certain fertilizers or you know any of that kind of stuff. Like we we cannot do it. It's not possible. Right. And there are studies suggesting that there's ways to grow organically and produce as much, if not more, of a yield than conventional. But I have yet to see any of them be successful. And so seeing the niche markets like the locally grown kind of stuff and the hormone free and antibiotic free and gmo free all that kind of stuff i think that over time those are hopefully going to disappear i think that they won't disappear for a while it might not be in the next 20 years it might be in the next 50 but i think that we're going to see those start to disappear over time just because people are going to realize we don't have that many farmers left we have very little land left and we have no way of raising food we need to start letting these people use whatever they need to do to get our food grown yeah. So do you think there is going to be a, a switch or like a mandate into what it is that farmers are going to be growing? Like you say right now, it's it's such like a like a stock market issue. <laughs> um, so that's it's it's such a gamble whether or not the crop is. Well, I assume everything sells just whether or not it sells at what you've expected it to sell at is is the, the bit of the gamble there. Mm. But like as especially like as nutritional science advances, and we find out that, like, you know, if I eat a, a jar full of crickets, it's way more nutritionally dense than this thing of iceberg lettuce. Not that I want to eat crickets anytime soon. But do, do you think there will be a, a switch into something like that? 
I think that it'll be yes and no. There's a lot of corn that's grown, right? Right. Like there's a lot of corn that's grown here too. And like, I, I, I know corn's used for other things other than eating a cup of corn. (laughs) Um, but it, I, I don't know if, if, like it seems like there's way more corn grown versus what's actually consumed by the average person. So a big part of that, and this is another misconception that a lot of people tend to not realize, is that a massive majority of agricultural products that are grown, especially in Canada, the United States, and Mexico, are traded off to other countries. So import and export markets are a large factor in why we grow what we grow, Hmm. because basically so what dictates what farmers grow is not what's easy to grow what they like to grow it's what the markets want so if consumers are eating you know way more beef the beef farmers are going to do really good and a lot of people who aren't raising beef are probably going to start raising beef or you know if if people are you know if if you know like some like some nutrition fact comes out and says almonds can improve your you know like they can decrease dementia almond growers are going to do really well people are going to rip out all their pistachios and start growing almonds like it's just (laughs) Like the markets dictate what farmers grow more than anything. There's some legacy in it too. People, you know, this is a third generation almond farm. I'm not going to give up on almonds now, kind of thing. And that yeah. happens. Usually they struggle with the markets for a little while, but the market always turns back around in their favor eventually just because they fluctuate so much. But I think that it would take something pretty big and it would take a very long time to make a, a switch so drastic that it would ultimately affect what people grow in, in, in like a large scale. Like you couldn't convince somebody who grows walnuts to grow a watermelon just because of something, you know, small, like watermelon's better for you. Okay, well, I'm gonna start growing watermelon. Like it would take something really, really big. And not only that, the climates are a big part of it too. I mean, people can't grow certain things in certain areas like we talked about earlier. And right. so if if the if the markets are demanding a certain product and the, and the part of the industry that usually supplies that market can't grow that product, the market has to change because they just can't get that. And so there, there's certain, like, it's kind of funny. The most important part of agriculture is the consumer. The people eating the food is the, is the one that makes it all go. Because if right. nobody's eating the food, what's the point of growing it? Yeah, totally. So, um, so one other thing that I had, I had noted down here that, that kind of touches on this. Is there, like, a crop that's notoriously difficult to work with? Hmm. I assume they all have their ups and downs. But is there one where, like, a, a farmer's watching the market and he's like, uh, I'm going to have to plant this this year. It's going to be a <laughs> um, rough one. So it, it all depends on the area. I mean, like like Oklahoma markets are going to be different than California markets, for example. Uh, so it's very dependent on the area. I know that in my area, at least cotton was a big one for a while. Uh, the cotton market basically didn't exist for like 10 years. Like nobody was growing cotton because nobody wanted cotton. And then like out of nowhere, just a few years ago, cotton blew back up and now everyone's growing cotton again. And then it started to die back down again. So it's like there are certain crops like that that are just kind of like, you know, people who grow them, even though the markets are down, are kind of just like crossing their fingers and hoping something good happens. And then something good happens and everyone wants to grow it. They flood the market and they kill the price again. And so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just a matter of like, because of how much the, the markets fluctuate, like you, you have some farmers that are just not super reliant on one crop. They'll just change their crop every couple of years if they, if they can stay on top of the markets. And it's farmers like that are, that are killing the markets in the first place. And not saying they shouldn't do that because, you know, there's advantages in that. And if they can make money to to feed their family, by all means, but you have to do what you have to do. Right. Exactly. But I don't think there's any one crop that every farmer struggles with. It's more just like the markets will kind of change. And like all of a sudden some crop will pop up and everyone's like, wait, he's growing that now. And then everyone starts (laughs) growing that because it's working and then, you know, stuff happens. But yeah. 
question here. I think there, if there's anything I didn't answer in any of your other questions, you can feel free to ask me to cover it again. I feel like I got mostly everything okay. Oh, yeah, you got pretty much everything here. Okay. Um, I think kind of one of the, the last couple ones I had here were on a, on a more personal scale. Okay. Um, so, like, what's the best way to go about learning how to maintain a, a tiny plot on my property? Hmm. So <laughs> this would be easier if you were in the United States. Um, yeah. I'm guessing you guys don't have a tractor supply in, in Canada. <laughs> um, we we actually have a, a tractor supply company. Uh, that's the name okay. of the store. They sell yeah. salt licks and spray paint and yes. flannel, flannel shirts. Yeah. Pretty much. That's, that's <laughs> what you're looking for. So I don't know what your, what the store for you is like over there, but I know at least here they sell a ton of books on gardening, on like uh, backyard farms, on, you know, very small scale farms, that kind of stuff. Like my mom stocked up on those books and that's how she's been growing her garden. And I use those books all the time. I mean, like I have like 10 of them on my bookshelf right now that I'm looking at and they're all on different subjects. It's just, they have a lot of very good in-depth information and it's very situational. Like they can show you like, okay, if you're doing this thing, this is what you want to do. If you're doing this thing, this is what you want to do. Like they're very good about answering pretty much any question you can have. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I mean, there are actual agricultural communities online that you could get involved in. If you want to ask questions like, hey, I'm trying to start a, a small scale garden. Um, you know, what advice do you guys have before I start? You know, I know that checking uh, soil pH is a big one. Uh, making sure that you have the right soil conditions that way your crops don't die because soils uh, most crops like a slightly more acidic uh, soil and if it's too basic it'll kill the crop so um i'm not sure what lavender is like but i know that you said that your lavender plants are doing okay oh they're uh, they're the, the happiest they're, they're taking over the whole <laughs> garden which like i'm fine with but so i'm sure that whatever your soil conditions are that are helping lavender grow just find out whatever crops or find out whatever, I mean, really, if you want to do it like, you know, like the engineer type of way, find out what works for lavender, find out what that soil worked for other things and then grow those other things. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it, that, could, that could kind of work as well. But I mean, there's a lot of online communities that love to help out with this kind of stuff. My job depends on ag is one that provides a lot of good information on this kind of stuff. And they're always welcome to new people. Um, okay. there's, there's, I mean, there's a ton of, a ton of resources, a ton of information like that on the internet. I mean, if you just look up you know, basic gardening tips or basic, you know, uh, basically look, look up like backyard farm stuff or like small urban agriculture type stuff. Because if you look up, you know, gardening tips, it's going to give you some like, you know, some old lady who's been gardening her entire life, like what her tips are. Maybe they'll work. Yeah. But if you're going for more like the, like the, when I say small scale, I mean like large scale garden, small scale farm kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're going for more like the producing your own food type of stuff, you're probably going to want to look more towards like people who are actually involved in agriculture that have actually done that kind of stuff. Cause they could tell you how, how to work on a smaller scale, uh, a lot more productively. Yeah. I, my goal, um, I don't know if we've talked about it, but I, I have, I have a, a two turning three year old and a six month old. And I, I want to have some sort of plot in our backyard where we can kind of go there and we can go through that process together. Mm-hmm. So we eventually have a, an end product that we can, put on their plate and say hey it's like you you did this <laughs> like that's yeah. that's you know it's it's not something that that i i had when i was younger and not because like not saying my parents were bad parents or anything <laughs> but like it, it just wasn't kind of it wasn't something that was in like the societal consciousness at the yeah. time where we're, we're hoping we can kind of you know pass that thought and those philosophies on our kids because it's it's important and it will be especially important 
in their lifetime. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a really, really good uh, thing to instill in, in young, you know, young kids. I'm always, I mean, not just because I want to be an agricultural teacher, but since I got involved in agriculture, my, so just a little side story. Um, I, I learned as much as I know about agriculture, partially from classes, but also because I was trained in public speaking when I was in high school. I joined a competitive public speaking team. I actually have a second podcast on public speaking. Oh, and cool. while I was training, I was taught to speak about agriculture. That was like our subject matter was we had to speak about different agricultural topics. They just throw an issue at us. We had to give a five, you know, four to six minute speech on it. And we have 30 minutes to write it before the speech. So that's like wow. you walk into a room, you have 30 minutes, write your speech, give four to six minutes. They ask you questions for five minutes on anything you talk about in your speech. I mean, like if it's a speech on GMOs and you mention water once, they can ask you water questions. I mean, there's <laughs> all kinds of like, so you can imagine I had to know my stuff. So right. I did a ton of research on that kind of stuff. And my best topic was ag literacy, teaching people about agriculture, helping people understand where their food comes from. And at the end of every speech, I always ended the same way. You know, what's the solution to like, because we have, at least in the United States, about 72% of people. So about, you know, out of, out of, you know, three out of every four people don't know where their food comes from. They think it just shows up in a grocery store kind of thing. It's witchcraft. Which is <laughs> exactly, which is like terrifying that, you know, three out of four people in the United States believe that, but it's, it is what it is. Like that was one of the scary stats I would use. And I would always propose at the end with, Okay, so how do we fix this? And my solution was always teach them young. I mean, the younger right. you can teach them about that kind of stuff, the better it's going to be because they're going to grow up with it, they're going to understand it, and they're going to make better consumer-based decisions because of it. Oh, totally. And so. especially like with, with something that's so so important, and people just don't understand. Like, not that they don't understand it, but it just doesn't really cross the mind that like you know you have these these three meals a day that you're dependent on. <laughs> And it's just, you know, maybe we should put a little bit of thought into this concept instead of well, just going through the process. Absolutely. I'm actually, I'm trying to get an episode with a, uh, like a food blogger because <laughs> someone who's into, whose entire career is based on food, I want to see how much they know about where the food comes from. And I want oh. to have a conversation with them about like, did you know that farmers are the reason you even have a job? Like, you yeah, know, well, that's a great idea. So I, I want to have more conversations like that kind of stuff. Like, you know, and with most industries I can understand, like, I always try to say like, you know, don't, yeah, don't preach ag all the time kind of thing. And like, I try to get out of the habit of just preaching that ag is the most important thing in the world all the time, just because it gets, I feel like people get annoyed with it. But like, at the same time, it's not like I'm saying, you know, the automobile industry is the most important industry in the world. I mean, this is right. food we're talking about. Food is the most important thing in the world. Yeah. No, you're, you're hundred percent correct. And that's why like, hopefully this, everything going on in the world right now has kind of helped people realize how delicate <laughs> the whole supply chain is mm. um and you know it's everyone was short on toilet paper this time but like <laughs> imagine if it were you know tomatoes or peppers or something like it's it's people need to be aware of that whole that whole concept well, people also don't realize that agriculture is responsible for toilet paper too <laughs> right yeah we, we do a lot of toilet paper here <laughs> yeah so that's just yeah no i think that i think that being stuck inside for so long has kind of made people i mean you're starting a garden a lot of people are doing that kind of thing like we talked about in the beginning the whole like fear of the unknown is kind of encouraging people to do more research and, and kind of get a better understanding of this stuff and i think that's possibly the best thing that's ever happened to humanity is that we're all we're all paying more attention to this kind of stuff yeah it's i mean obviously it's, it's i don't even think i need to say that it's a terrible situation but like <laughs> right. given the fact that like you know i'm I, I've been acting as a as a mechanical engineer for however many years now. Um, you know, 
back in the day, like I used to play guitar, I used to be in bands, I used to play sports. And, you know, that kind of goes away as you grow up. Mm. And it's, you know, not something that's conscious. It just kind of evaporates as you spend more time doing adult type things. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, with, with the whole virus, I've seen friends and whatnot. They, they've had time to get back into the creative things that they used to do. And, you know, it's, there's the light that kind of comes out of all of this stuff. And, and for me and my family, it's, it's been the pursuit of this subject. And I built a guitar during quarantine. That's, <laughs> that's hanging awesome. around, that's hanging around somewhere. Yeah. That's so I, I, had, I had time to do that. I mean, give, I'm, I've been working from home this whole time. So mm-hmm. I, I started working from home in, in March. Wow. And I think this is like the first legitimate conversation I've had outside <laughs> of my wife and my three-year-old and six-month-old. <laughs> so well, it's, it's been bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we could be your outlet to the real world. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Oh, it's I've, I've been looking for looking forward to it ever since you you found me on Reddit there. Yeah, no, I've been very excited. I mean, anytime I talk to someone and they're excited to learn more about agriculture, it always gives me a good feeling because that gives me hope. I mean. We talk. I think that there's a massive disconnect, a massive like lack of communication between. I mean, so I'm I'm gonna try to put this as delicately as possible. <laughs> Agriculture has its faults. I'm not gonna deny that. Agriculture. I mean, there are definitely things. I mean, it's an industry. Every industry has its faults. Every organization has its faults. That's just something that's natural with humans running it. It's gonna have its faults. Mm-hmm. Agri- one of agriculture's biggest faults is that they do not make an effort to teach people enough, and when I say that, I mean that, you know, we complain all the time in the agricultural industry. And I was taught growing up in high school that, you know, consumers are against agriculture, that they don't like what we're doing, that they don't trust us, that, they, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And that farmers were like, you know, that nobody wanted to listen to our story, that nobody cared about what we were saying. And I quickly learned over time that that's not the case. Farmers just really suck at telling people stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like to, to hear you say that. I think I heard you say that on one of the other episodes here. I was I was shocked to hear that you know, some people thought that that was the case. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if it was maybe it was one of those things where it was like a Canadian versus American kind of thing. Where, <laughs> like, it's, you know, I've, I've never heard someone say over here, like, oh, damn farmers. Like, it's just, it's it's not a thing. It, right. It's a respected member of the community. Yeah, and that's something that is very difficult for people in the agriculture industry to understand is that because there's such a disconnect, we just automatically assume that consumers don't like us, that they don't trust us. And I think it has to do with just how much we see on social media, like with animal rights activists and with, you know, the organic people that are like, it has to be organic and, you know, GMOs are evil and all that kind of stuff. It's just like, okay, we get that you don't trust that stuff, but can we at least have a conversation about why you don't trust it so we we understand what to do about it? But neither side wants to have that conversation. I think that's the problem. So... Right. It could also be something where it's, in, like, it's a numbers game, right? If you have 2% of the population that are involved in this, and, you know, it, it could only be 5% of the other population that it's against you. But considering right. that it's 98%, yep. like, that's that's a lot of people. And, and having to deal with that, it's, you know, it's frustrating. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's definitely, I think that with anything in social media, that's definitely the case. It's just, we just see the, the worst of it. Like we don't understand oh, it. Not everyone. Yeah. Like we see like, you know, the animal rights activists that are protesting slaughterhouses. We don't see the guy who is going to the farmer's market every day and thanking the farmers. And he has no idea what they do every day. Right. So it's like having, 
having more of an understanding of the fact that consumers care about what we're doing and want to know our story and want to know what, you know, not that they don't trust us, but because they're curious is like, that's a foreign subject to us. I mean, that's just not how I was, how I was raised. I was just raised with the idea of like, you know, okay, we're in agriculture and they're, you know, they're consumers. They just, they don't, we're not meant to connect. And that's not how things used to be. I mean, 20, 30, 40 years ago, everyone had a farm, you know, everyone had a chicken in their backyard, everyone, you know, or everyone knew a farmer, you know, everyone was able to connect and, you know, like you had a family friend that was a farmer. I mean, I, I, most of my statistics are American based. I can't say much for Canada, but because mo- most of the speeches I give have been in, you know, I've never, I've never left America. So I don't really, oh, I never dude. really <laughs> you gotta check it out one day. If you're ever in the oh, area, hit me up. <laughs> oh, definitely. I, I would love to come to, come to Canada, but I, you know, when I speak on on behalf of this kind of stuff, I always bring up the fact that in the United States, your average family is two to three generations disconnected from agriculture. Like, yeah, they just don't know any farmers, and that's like, well, no wonder we're having a communication issue. Nobody's talking to them. Like, it's it's not their fault that they don't know. They don't know what to ask. They don't know what to look up. They don't know what to trust. They just believe what is thrown in front of them, and they just like we're not giving them any information from our side and so like whenever we we take attack from consumers they don't know it's like well did you tell them what the truth is and like no they wouldn't believe me anyway it's like well there there's your problem you need to have the conversation right and that's when i mean most people understand that that PETA is crazy Mm -hmm. but when you see the the videos that are produced and whatnot you know it it gets to you and yeah you can understand that that it it you know it, it tugs on people's heartstrings and whatnot Mm -hmm. so it's it's and people don't yeah people don't see that and think oh that's just one farmer that's doing a bad thing once they see that and think this is all what like this is what all farmers are like because that's what that's all they're told yeah which like okay even then like cool like go be a vegetarian be vegan (laughs) right (laughs) you still have to have to get the food from somewhere (laughs) exactly and so it's just there's a lot being left out of the conversation that is I think more vital than is, than is being proposed. And so I'm trying to basically my role in all of this, cause I grew up, I mean, until I was about 15, I did not have any interest in agriculture. I was planning on being an engineer. I had way more interest in being like, you know, an inventor kind of, I, I had all these ideas and blueprints I wanted to create. Like I was like, you know, I was like playing video games every day, which I still do. And I was, you know, drawing and I was reading, like I was a total nerd, which has not, not much has changed. But <laughs> when I, when I got into high school, I saw that there was such a larger potential for this industry to be something more. And I noticed that like, I'm not all the way in either category. I have my foot in the consumer side and in the agriculture side. And so because of that, I took advantage of that because I understand how consumers think and I understand how farmers think. So I'm trying to be the mediator. That's like, okay, the communication gap here is too large for this industry to to have i mean like this is the most important industry in the world and you guys are preaching that but nobody's having the conversation that needs to be had then i'm gonna have it i'll take what the farmer says i'll teach the consumer i'll see what the consumer is concerned about i'll go to the farmer with it i'll do what yeah. i have to do to make sure that these conversations are being had even if they don't want to have them no it's it's such an important role and it's such an important role even outside the agricultural industry it's like uh, the, the problems we have going on is you know ev- everybody wants the best for everybody mm-hmm. and people kind of need to understand that and, and some people have a different perspective of what might be the best but if we can get to a point where we can understand and we can empathize with everyone else it's a the world would be a better place <laughs> <laughs> no absolutely I, I definitely agree with you there mm. so uh, do you have any other questions you want to uh ask one me this time? one last question uh okay. if you could 
suggest like a couple sources of of agricultural related media what would oh, it be I, I i love the show growing a greener world okay. it's it's on pbs which i get because i, I live right across from detroit right um and it, a lot of it has to do with they they touch on small scale farming and and stuff like that so it, it rings true to the, the the average person outside the industry uh let me actually see here so um okay so there's a show that's also on pbs it's called american grown and it's it's based off of that uh that facebook group i was talking about my job depends on ag oh cool that show is really good and it 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 does a very good job of of explaining the story of the farmer and what they go through every day and all that kind of stuff so that'd be a good one if you're looking for more podcast style stuff there's one called the future of agriculture which is really cool that one's more like you almost have, I mean, it's very interesting to listen to, but you almost have to kind of know what they're talking about to catch it because they use a lot of, you know, very industry related language that it's like, it goes over my head half the time. And so, yeah, right. So it's kind of stuff that's like, you know, you have to just kind of listen to it, but like, you know, kind of understand that, you know, not everything is going to make total sense just because it's like, you know, he'll talk to a, a rancher who will talk about branding and, and, you know, dehorning and all that kind of stuff, which like might be a hard visual for someone who's never seen that kind of stuff before. So, right. I think that, but that one's a good one. That one's, and that one they connect with a lot of younger farmers and try to talk to them about the future of agriculture. I mean, it's called the Future of Agriculture podcast, so it's that's kind of a given. Yeah, but um, they're they're a pretty good one, and, and I'm actually talking to that guy tomorrow about doing an episode. So he he's a pretty good guy. Um, but there's a, I mean, I there's so many. I mean, I, I follow so many different ag media platforms. Um, if you're looking like. Are you looking more to just learn about agriculture or what's like, what's your kind of like, are you looking for agricultural communities to get involved in or what's your kind of purpose here? If you have any communities to recommend, sure. My job depends on ag is probably the biggest community for farmers I could think of that would be uh, good, you know, to learn from. Um, I'm trying okay. to think of, I mean, there's, there's quite a few of them and I, I'll definitely send them to you if, if I think of more. And if anyone who's listening to this episode thinks of any, they could send them to me and I'll recommend them to you. Um, oh. I can't think of a whole lot off the top of my head just because I'm, you know, kind of put on the spot and I can't think of anything right now. But um, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll definitely send you more as time goes on. I'll, I'll have to I'll have to go through my list and see what else I can find. I mean, there's other platforms. There's there's websites that provide good resources to learn about stuff more on like the basic, like you know, almost like third grade level. So like, um, Ag in the Classroom is a good one. And National or National Agriculture Classroom is the official name for it. The Farm Bureau, the American Farm Bureau, is, it has a website that has tons of information on all kinds of topics. It's really good to know. Um, like if you have a question about anything in ag, they probably have something on there for you. Like they're very knowledgeable and they have a lot of good information on there. <laughs> and I think I really can't think of any other ones right now. I'll have to let you know as as I think of more. Oh yeah, man, I really appreciate it. I mean, anything I can do to spread the word, that's that's all I'm trying to do. I mean, I'm not trying to convince you to, to think one way or the other. As long as you're doing the research, that's all I could ask. Yeah. No, it's I, I've really appreciated the conversation. It's been eye-opening. And that's, like, even the conversation we, we've had on the side, like, it's I've learned a lot in a very short period of time. <laughs> well, that's good. That's, that's all I could hope for is that you're, you're learning something from it. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be the you know, true green, you know, standing up for agriculture, you know, fighting off PETA kind of person. But as long as you're, yeah. as long as you're more aware of, of what goes into producing the food, that's all I could ask for. Yeah. It's just a, a hoping to a help my family understand like where their food comes from and like all, all the friends that I have that are trying to figure stuff out in this time too. 
and yeah. yeah, it's building community around it, you know? Yeah, definitely. And a community is one of the greatest things about agriculture, in my opinion. I mean, it's, it's food. It should unite us all together. It's like you said earlier. <laughs> so <laughs> being able to build a community around people striving towards a common goal, especially when it's one that involves, you know, like, like the production of food or, or like the, the cultivating of like, like a project that can be used for future generations. Like you say, you want to teach your kids and you know, you're, you're working with your friends and neighbors and that kind of stuff. Like that's all like, that's what agriculture is really about. I mean, besides just the growing food, it's the, it's the growing people together kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's all I have for, for this. And if you happen to come up with any more questions, you know, feel free to reach out to me. I'm, I'm always available to talk. And if, you know, if you, if you have enough questions that warrant a second episode, (laughs) I'd be happy to have you back on. Oh, I'm I'm sure sure I'll have way more stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, there's even stuff that I didn't touch on that touch on in other episodes, but I mean, if you, if you need the information, you can go check on the other episodes kind of stuff. But, um, no, I, I I really appreciate you making the time to talk to me about this. It's, It's been, it's been a very fun conversation. Yeah, man. So, I'd like to thank you know our guest Eric here for for uh, tune or for uh, helping out and and bringing such a good uh, you know a good perspective on onto this kind of a conversation. You know, I'd like to thank all of our listeners and anyone tuning in. I appreciate all the support and, and anyone who has any ideas on someone else I could talk to. You, if if you know if you know someone who's involved in agriculture or who wants to get involved in agriculture that wants to talk about this kind of stuff or maybe doesn't know a thing about agriculture but you think that they need to learn about it, invite them on the show. I'd be happy to have anyone on here. So I I will never deny a conversation about agriculture. That's kind of my purpose of this show in the first place. So um, that's all I have. So thank you everyone so much. And don't forget, if you ain't today, thanks.